Welcome to Bounce Back Like a Badass, your weekly dose of real and honest conversations about when life gets a little or a lot messy and how to find your way back more humbled, more empowered, more determined, and hopefully with some badass stories to share. Here's your host, Kat Coley. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. You are listening to episode number six, uh, which is going to be part two of Behind the Prison Walls from last week. And before I jump in, and I'm going to jump in here rather quickly, I just want to say again, thank you for all the support, all the love, all the comments. Um, I so appreciate you guys sending me um, DMs and messages and texts and letting me know how... um, how much you're liking the episodes and um, the, the fact that I'm sharing my story. And I will say that, you know, in, in telling my story and sharing it, um, it's always, it's a bit intimidating because you don't know how it's going to be received. And I will say, it, you know, it's been overwhelmingly um, greatly received and I so appreciate you guys letting me know and it's definitely um, encouraging me to move on and move forward um, with doing more episodes and sharing more because this you know the story didn't end um, certainly in prison I think it, it continued it, it started um, when I came home in my opinion but um, but there is a lot of details you know prior to me coming home that I want to share. Uh, and also, I can't wait to share the stories of am- other amazing um, souls out there that have reinvented themselves and transformed their lives, you know, all from, you know, just a, a time in their lives where they needed change and the change came from within. So um, with that, I'm going to jump right in. And I believe we left off last week uh, with me letting you know uh, that I arrived in prison. <laughs> I know that I, I didn't realize it would take me that long to get to that part. However, there was a lot happening. There was a lot of balls up in the air. And by no means am I, am I sitting here, you know, going, oh, poor me, you know, all of these things I was I was dealing with. You know, again, it was definitely self-inflicted. Um, all the things that were happening were manifesting and happening because of all the things that happened before it. So, you know, as, as you realize, and I will talk about more and more in this podcast is, um, you know, everything is a reflection of, you know, what's happening inside and, you know, your actions. So, you know, what's happening, you know, what starts in your mind becomes your actions and then becomes your reality. And that's just the way the cycle goes. And you can call that karma. You can call that, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, but that's just how, that is how it goes. You get, you get, um, out what you put in. And so you put bad stuff uh, in and then, um, you know, bad stuff come out and that's just the way that it goes. And hopefully, um, you can find the lessons learned in all of those and be able to turn those things around. Um, it's not saying that it's, it's easy or it's overnight, but it it does um, happen all the time. Um, and again, with that being said, I'm going to jump in. So we left off with me, um, getting to prison after getting off the bus. And again, um, that feeling of, um, walking up that ramp, and those doors opening, um, again, it's like a, a loading dock door just opening up and you're mapped on the other side with officers. Um, 
and then you are then processed and so you go into a room and again we were there for a very long time almost an entire day um, of being processed so you go through health screenings and uh, make sure that you um, are able to be in that facility um, that it's safe uh, for them and it's safe for you um, so they go through a bunch of screening and it takes a long time to get through everyone that's come in because there's a lot of people and as I mentioned last week I ended up being in a cell with the person one the girl that I had made eye contact with in court and at the time I wasn't sure if that was a good thing or a bad thing um I just through hearsay and just what I you know learned about her while we were sitting in this one room almost an entire day was you know this wasn't her first time and it might have been it might have been her third it could have been her second I know I I mean I'm not remembering those exact facts, but let's just say it wasn't her first rodeo. And uh, she put up a very good front about it not bothering her. And again, at the time, you just don't know any of those things, you know. So, you know, she was kind of coming out with this total badass attitude, um, you know, the very much that I belong here. I know I belong here. Don't mess with me. Um, and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be in a cell with this girl. Um, and in my head, I just had this like, you know, just this thought, you just, when you go, you know, when, when you when you go into this without any prior knowledge and without having ever thinking that you're going to go through it, all the experiences that you have and all the things that's running through your head are just things that you've learned, you know, watching television and, you know, in, in movies. And, you know, so I'm like, you know, is this girl going to stab me in the middle of the night? You know, do I need to keep, you know, sleep with one eye open? You know, and for the most part, you know, you do have to be quite alert. You know, none of those things happened while I was there. Thank God. Um, but they do happen. And so, and I think that's why, um, the girl from the jail basically, you know, those were the reasons why she told me to keep to myself was, you know, the less people you interact with, you know, the less people that you can come, you know, you come in contact with and, you know, the less issues that you have. And so it's completely understandable why you want to be a loner in this situation. Um, and, you know, not associate with yourself with anybody because, you know, associating yourself with somebody could mean, um, you know, you're attaching yourself to somebody that, you know, maybe is not liked or has a reputation or whatever it is. It just becomes quite complicated when you're in this world. Um, a whole totally different scary world um, that I had just jumped into. And I tried very, very hard anytime I spoke to my family, my husband, my sister, uh, any of friends or anything like that, um, that you know, to put up a good front that I was okay and that, you know, I just, I know, I didn't want to worry them any more than they were already worried. And, um, so I just kept saying, you know, I'm okay. I'm doing okay. I'm sleeping. I'm eating. Um, I'm trying to keep myself busy and occupied, but I knew that they, you know, were worried and I would be too. And, you know, I, I, I absolutely knew why, you know, why they would be feeling that way. And that's why, um, I lied. Um, I lied to myself as well because, you know, I, I had to talk myself into a lot of those feelings of that I'm okay and, you know, give myself the courage to, um, to keep putting one foot in front of the other when half of me, you know, literally wanted to die. Um, and I do remember, and I'm just recalling this now, um, that, when I left, it was a little over 
a month before my daughter's first birthday. And when by the time I had gotten to, um, by the time I'd moved into the prison, it was getting close to her birthday. And I don't, I had wished upon oh, anything out there um, that anyone would be praying to that I would be home for her first birthday and there was something inside me that felt like I would be and so when the day came I remember that my husband had um, had celebrated it with my family and our friends and so they were having a party for my daughter without me being there because I of course wanted her to be celebrated and wanted everyone to celebrate her birthday but that part, that time, I, re I remember the phone being passed around to everybody and everyone wishing me well and everyone, um, I think it was, they were, they were singing happy birthday to her when I had called because I think I, you know, I tried to call at a time where everybody was there, um, was probably one of the most gut-wrenching times, um, that I could not be there to see her, to hold her, to kiss her, to uh, to wish her happy birthday. And here I was in prison while everyone was out in the real world um, celebrating my little girl's birthday. And I know everyone felt the same on the other side of that phone. And I tried so hard um, to not cry, but I know that I broke down and cried, I think while I was on the phone. Um, cause it was, that was just the reality of the situation. You know, I, I had hoped that I would be home. I had hoped that at some point someone was going to determine that they had given me the wrong sentencing again. I was still hoping that someone somewhere had written something down wrong. And instead of, you know, saying I was, I was going to be sent to, uh, to, state prison that I was actually being um it was a suspended sentence that I just knew it was like a, a like a like a grammatical error somewhere um I was still hoping for that and I did for a very long time um but that night on her birthday was probably one of the most difficult part of this journey um and I will add her second birthday because I missed that as well um and just not Again, not being there for her um, and for my husband and for my family. It was, it was gut-wrenching. And it was something that I had to tuck away and I could not dwell on it. I, I do recall going back to my cell after um, speaking uh, to them and, um, that, and, and saying um, to myself that I had to get my, I had to get my shit together. Like I had like literally a pep talk with myself because it felt like I was drowning. It just felt like I was like hyperventilating, drowning, um, I could, that I could pass out at any moment. And I just like the more I thought about it, the more I let the feelings in, the more the emotions came in. I just was like, I just couldn't breathe. And I remember sitting on my bed um, trying hard to like tell myself to get your shit together because the last thing you want is one anyone seeing you or two someone thinking that you're not okay and you know maybe send you to a different part of the prison I don't know I was just like just hold hold it together cat like hold it the fuck together because um you're in this alone <laughs> at the moment there's nobody there you know um, around me um 
and if you know it ha- I had to figure out on my own to how to hold it together and I also remember okay now it's coming back to me so it's funny because now I think back about it um so for the three weeks um that you are in segregation you're actually not allowed to, a phone call um so for three weeks leading up to my daughter's birthday um I, I that you know, again, the other the main reason why I started writing was just because I couldn't speak to anybody, um, and so you're not allowed to um, to speak to anyone. So, um, leaving this segregated area um, was not only great for you know the next step in this process, but it also allowed me to be able to call um, my family. And I think one of the first phone calls was around her birthday. So. Again, just a lot of emotions, a lot of things happening in my head, my mind, my body, my heart, just all these things, like trying to figure out, you know, what was next in this process. So you, after being in the segregated air for three weeks, you come out and you are then sent to um, the general again depending on your crime you're sent to the most everyone is sent to the the uh, general population and if I was scared going into the segregated area and scared and nervous and just like pit in my stomach kind of feeling holy effing shit walking into the general population and I can't describe to you Oh my God, what this was about. So now basically the area then kind of doubles in size and it's still upstairs, downstairs, but in each um, room, it housed, I think, anywhere from seven to 12 women. And when you first come in, everyone is sent to their, I want to call it room, but it's a cell. Um, Everyone is sent to their cell. And there are actual bars on the actual window of the cell. So, uh, the, the, yeah, the windows in the cell. And, um, oh, I remember this. And this is, like, probably one of, like, the clearest memory I have of prison. Um, so we walk in, and then, you, again, you know, there's a little more than two dozen of us, and we're all going through different sections of, of, of the buildings. And um, so out of, let's say, you know, 24, 25, 26 of us, you know, seven or eight go to one area. And again, they just, they, they try to spread you out, obviously. Um, and so I think eight of us or maybe a little bit more go to, an, to the same area together. And so we are like fresh effing meat, okay? And some of the people have been in there before. And some of them have friends in there. Some of them have enemies in there. And I happen to be um, in a room or with somebody that was uh, assigned this area with somebody that um, had enemies inside. And I didn't know it, of course. I don't, you know, (laughs) not down, not down with everything that's happening. And so we walk in and people inside, it's not, it's not like it's, um, like you can't hear. They're screaming, like screaming this girl's name. Um, I don't even remember her name anymore, but screaming this girl's name, telling her that, 
you know, they're going to mess around. They're doing like basically like just like screaming and yelling and pounding on the glass or you know the window, and literally girls are like climbing the bars like monkeys, and that is like. The vision that I had as I look up, like so, there's like two. It's two stories. Or it's you know, it's two stories, and you walk in, and um, it's open. The middle portion is open to you know the place where you could sit and congregate and whatever. Um, and then the, uh, the cells are you know on the, on first floor and second floor, and on the top floor on the right hand side uh, was one of the rooms that was that that held the most girls. It was like twelve girls, um, and there was women um who were like rattling the um the gate the iron the iron or you know the fence the iron gates whatever that you want to call it um and like screaming and I'm like oh my god I want to go back into segregation like holy shit this is scary like and and the officers in the segregated area everything is quiet like you're not allowed to make a lot of noise. You're not allowed to, you know, if you're talking too loud, they'll tell you to shut up. Um, they're not very kind, of course. Um, uh, and everyone's just kind of quiet. Everyone's, you know, in those first 21 days or three weeks, everyone's just trying to get acclimated to where they're going to be at and trying to figure out their life and how they're going to move forward. Um, and some who were coming back, you know, for the second, third time, they just know that this is the time before the storm. Um, the calm before the storm. And so they're, you know, just laying low as well. So everything is quiet in this area, you know, where we were in for 21 days. And it's the complete effing opposite when you come out into the general population. It is freaking crazy. And the officers don't even do anything. Like, they don't say anything. They don't, like, say, you know, don't do that or shut up or nothing. They just kind of let it go on and the screaming until it gets to a point where they, like, they feel like they need to step in. Otherwise, it's like a free freaking for all. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is scary shit. So I happen to then be in the same, not just in the same um, building or or section of the building as this girl, um, but I also happen to be in the same room as this girl and actually happen to be in, like, her bed is next to mine. So everyone um, is told to... Um, stay in their room until all, we are all checked in into our little rooms. And so everyone is screaming at this girl who I happen to be walking next to. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to be associated with you. I don't know who you are. I don't know why everyone's yelling at you. So I try to stay like behind her um, and try to like separate myself from her. And people are screaming her name. Everyone there seems to know her. There's some history there I know nothing about. And, um, and it's quite scary. And she is scared I could tell like the funny thing is not I don't say the funny thing is but when we were in the segregated area um you know she was one of those that you know seemed very confident and seemed like she had her you know like nothing was bothering her and you know she would anytime we would kind of get out into the common area to eat um you know she certainly wasn't one to keep to herself and, and nothing not judging her or anything like that but it's a completely different world and I saw that in her and it's a completely, you're a completely different person when you're in an area where you feel absolutely safe in um, and feel like, you know, you can let your guard down versus in an area where you don't know what's going to happen. So when we walked into our room, her bed was assigned next to mine. And shortly after 
um, everyone was okay to then move around, move about themselves. And so in this area, you're not locked up 24-7. The the doors are um, open and you can go in and out of the other rooms. You can, there's times where you can go outside, you go outside of this area to eat. So, um, so, you know, as far as, you know, you are in this area um, for a longer period of time. So general population, I think you're in there for a few months could be much longer than a few months before then you are sent to a different part of uh, the prison um, where I believe maybe then you can you go back into being in a cell with maybe two or three or four other people. Um, but in, in this general population, there's, you know, there could be a hundred girls in one one area, one, um, one wing, I guess you could say. So uh with that um she once they let everyone in um or out of their rooms and because we had we gotten our things and gotten ourselves situated in our rooms um our cells i say rooms um and she was approached like within minutes of them opening you know the, the doors i guess you could say she was within minutes she was approached by all of these people and they were not there to welcome her let me just say that um and so all of these people come rushing into the room that we were in and people are the people that have an issue with her are in the room screaming yelling pointing uh, doing all these things and my bed happens to be like literally right next to hers and so I'm like oh my god something is about to go down holy shit I don't know what to do do I stay do I move what do I do if I move you know some I, I didn't know so I just kind of got up from my bed and kind of moved to the towards the back of the room and now people are like piling into the rooms people are hanging out outside and looking in through the window and all of a sudden an officer actually comes in and was like what's going on blah 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 and uh so they kind of separated them and it wasn't over by any means. Uh, and the girl was, you know, petrified and she, and she was crying. And so the officer was actually quite nice, I will say, to her and said that if she felt threatened, that she certainly could uh, say just she just had to say the word that she was threatened and she could be moved. Um, she would then just be moved to a different area, I believe. So I don't know if then it just continues on. Uh, so she, she says she's not scared and she's fine. But later on that night, and this is my first night there later on that night. Um, I think more, more things happened and a lot of the people that were around her, she knew some people, I guess, um, kept telling her to just go to the officers and say, Hey, you know, I don't feel safe. And I was like, thank God, because every time literally you're able to move around more and more people piled into the room. And I was like, Oh my God, this is fucking scary. (laughs) Um, and I kept thinking, God, this is going to be, this is going to be like, I, this is going to be my life. This is like always on alert, always, you know, looking out, like sleeping with one eye open Um, and so thank God, finally, she, um, she said she didn't feel safe and they ended up moving her. Thank effing God. Um, because I immediately felt safe. Like the pressure was off. No one was coming into our room until 
a day or two later, um, someone does come into our room who um, I think happened to be in our room and then she was moved to um, a cell by herself because she had actually um, hurt a girl very badly um, and the girl had to be uh, airlifted to a hospital. So she was um, in isolation by herself for, I guess, I think maybe she was in there by herself in her own self for like a year. And then she just happened to come out the week um, that I get there. So yay, great timing. Um, and then she was like a hero. Honestly, it was, it was a very weird scenario because everyone treated her like she was like the queen. And she happened to be in a room. She happened to be very proud of what she had done. She happened to also be very proud of the reason she was there, which um, I won't go into any of those details. Let's just say it, um, it, it, it was quite um, a vicious crime. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, and so she was, she was definitely there for something that was a, a pretty big deal and a pretty well-known um, story in, in the, the city, or uh, in the state that I lived in that I, where all this happened. So in any case, I was relieved for a couple of days until she came. And then I was like, okay, this is probably not another good scenario. Um, so again, very, being very, very cautious, um, of your surroundings of the people around you. Um, and that's when I started kind of talking to some of the people that were in my room um because as much as you want to be alone as much as you don't want to interact with anybody um it gets quite lonely and there are kind people there and I, I will say and again you know this the whole experience was quite humbling um because we're all humans and we all have made a mistake and we all those mistakes led us to where we were at so the judgment stops at some point because, um, you know, you can't look around and be like, oh, I'm, I'm such, so much better than this person when, you know, you're, again, you're sitting in the same cell. So the, you know, no one's better than the other. So there were some amazing people. I will say that word amazing people that I met throughout my time and, um, and some who just made the same exact mistakes that I did and some who made more mistakes than I did and some who made less and nonetheless they're human and you know we interacted as human beings and you know there were some that you just had a good vibe with or just you know you you know their aura vibrated with yours and you you know you kind of like okay that's somebody that I you know necessarily be best friends with but you know somebody that I could talk to um, and then there were some that you just knew that, you know, were not. And they made it known and you stayed away. And so there's a couple people in where I was at where um, they, one had been, um, had, a, I don't say it's very similar, but a, a similar um, case as mine. And she told me all of these things that, again, I didn't know about the criminal, you know, the justice system. And she explained to me, I had my paperwork sent to me and she explained to me that I should have never signed the plea deal that I should, that I did. Um, she, this, this woman, as she was in her 60, mid to late sixties, um, had studied law before. Um, she had done, you know, some criminal activities that, you know, that had to do with, uh, 
financial stuff, um, but she was very well versed in the law um, and financial laws and all of these things. And um, she was working on getting her case appealed and looking like it was going to go that way. And uh, she was telling me all the things that, you know, gosh, she was surprised that I, my lawyer let me sign a plea bargain that had these things on them. Like why, you know, she asked me if he fought for this versus that. And I was, this is, this is the first time whilst I was in prison (laughs) being schooled by somebody, you know, that had, you know, done something similar, um, but had practiced law in the past to tell me that I you know, ended up signing such a, a bullshit deal. And she's like, God, I'm, you know, I'm, this is terrible that they never explained any of this stuff for you. But the funny thing, the, not the funny thing, but the hard thing is that, and again, this is my fault. It, as my lawyer, yes, they should have explained it to me what, the, what it actually meant, what exactly it, what, I, what exactly I was signing. However, I should have been asking the questions and I shouldn't have, you know, just handed over my life to my lawyer just because they have a law degree and, and that I thought that they were, you know, doing things, you know, you know, in my, you know, my interest, my, the best, my best interest. And I'm sure they were, but then again, they're, they're handling hundreds of cases and I'm one of a hundred cases. And if I don't make a point to ask these questions, they're just going to go with, you know, what their typical routine is and sign this. We got a plea bargain and we're going to wait for probation and parole and probation to tell us that, you know, they, rec- they don't recommend you going to prison. They recommend you, um, you know, getting a suspended sentence and, and getting probation and oh, perfect. We got it. Yeah, sign it. Let, yeah. You probably, you should be good. And that's how it happened. And granted that's, you know, a short, explanation of you know a, a process that took over two years but that's, that's pretty much what happened except for another story again I'll tell you um which I think now I it, it, it better explains how everything had happened but the gist of it was she could not believe that I had signed this and my lawyer had me sign it and that they didn't fight for something that was lower because they could have and so it was and so she um walked me through what I needed to do. So while I was in prison, so I was in prison for a little over maybe two months, if I'm getting my my timing right. So, so maybe over two months. And in this process, due to, uh, depending on your crime, your level of crime and what you ended up signing in your plea bargain or whatever you were, however you were sentenced, if you didn't plea bargain and you went to trial, um, you could then move to other levels of the system, meaning that you didn't have to stay in maximum, you know, security prison. Um, you could request to then move to a different, um, a, a different um, level, and that's what I did. So I went from being in prison to the maximum security prison to two months later being moved to a medium facility um, that was maybe an hour outside of the city that I lived in, and um, and it was like 
Um, I don't want to say it's like camp, but it's like camp. Um, and we, the, that camp partnered with the uh, Bureau of Land Management and you did, you know, park recreation stuff. You also helped in fires and there was a lot of fires happening around the time that this was, you know, that, that, uh, that I was in there. So anyways, prior to me leaving there, um, I appealed as many things as I possibly could. So I asked for um, an appeal from the judge to get a new judge that was denied. <laughs> I tried everything. So I learned, I, I, I spent a lot of time in the law library. They actually have a law library in there. Um, and I learned about my case and something I should have done while I was free. And I would have known to never have signed the, the paperwork that I did. Would it have stopped me from going to prison? Probably not. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and say probably not because for various reasons, it probably wouldn't have. However, I probably wouldn't have been in prison for as long as I had. Um, I was in there for um, and probably would have gotten um, house arrest had all of these things um, had I not signed what I had signed. And no, you know, I'm not 100%, but I, I'm saying there was a high probability. So one of the things, again, I did was I tried to appeal my judge's decision, which was denied. Um, and I had to process like legal papers. I had to send in court papers. And so I was learning like um, legal jargon. And I was, you know, from people that were there, from people that were in the library. So I met people that were knowledgeable about the system and the law whilst I was in prison. And I guess maybe, you know, it's, it's a fair assessment that, you know, there are people in there that know how to work their way around the law and, and get caught. And so um, they're very knowledgeable. And some of them, you know, obviously can't get paid um, for doing it, but some of them did it out of the goodness of their heart um, after, you know, listening to your story and, and sharing it. And, and they, you know, just kind of tell you, you know, point you in a direction to go, not guaranteeing anything, but seeing if it would help. So I, whilst I was there, I um, appealed my the judge's decision, which was denied. I appealed the um, I appealed to have a second judge look at my case, which was denied. I then appealed to have my um, my sentence revoked uh, or not revoked, uh, changed uh, to a lesser sentence. And my what I signed for was the, the level of, uh, of the crime um, decreased which would mean that I didn't need to spend, I didn't need to spend the, the minimum, minimum of 19 months in prison. Um, and that was also denied because I'd already signed it. And, you know, that was something that my lawyer should have actually done for me um, or at least tried to do for me and, and n never attempted to. And so that was denied because I'd already signed it. I'd already acknowledged my guilt. I'd already signed. I, and you know, again, according to them, you know, no one's, I, I didn't sign it under duress. I, you know, when no one forced me to sign it, I signed it willingly. And so to try to fight it now, um, was absolutely ridiculous. And I get it. I, I totally get it, but I had to try, I had to try every angle I could. And this whole time, I just kept thinking, I'm going to go home, I'm going to go home, and I'm not going to stop until I do go home. And the last thing that I applied for, that I could apply for after kind of eliminating all, you know, the process, was house arrest. And I had very, very good reasons to believe I could get house arrest because I met all the criteria. Um, and so, as, um, so in this process, I also applied to go to be transferred to a different facility. 
and um, again, just trying as much as I could to try to get out of the situation, to lessen my sentence, to do something. I just, I, you know, I just needed. I felt like I just needed to do something, and so um, in all of this, and I think I, I spoke about this a little bit in um, the second episode. Just kind of the realization that life goes on and it has to go on because, you know, now I'm, you know, three months, four months into, you know, three months, I think at this point into my sentence and, you know, things had, people's lives had to go on. So in this, at this time, I just, I started to feel like I was a nuisance and um, even in my husband's life, you know, even, you know, I would, I, I, wanted updates I wanted to hear my daughter's voice she wasn't speaking at the time but I wanted updates like I just I just wanted details and the more details I tried to get out the more shut down um the response because I I can imagine how hard it was being on the other side it's like you know I'm sure the feeling was you know I don't want to disclose any more of this information because it's going to hurt you um, but I'm good, you know, for me, I wanted to ask questions. And again, this goes back to something I spoke about in, in the second episode about, um, you know, telling truths or tell, tell, telling full truths or half truths or, or not being able to, to tell, you know, the entire, the entirety of what was happening. And again, you know, this is, doesn't just come into, you know, people not being, um, honest and, and not being truthful. This comes to this as well, because, you know, I'm sure that by telling me the details of life that I couldn't be part of, that was hurtful for my husband. Um, and for him to disclose all the things I was missing. So, you know, her walking, you know, teeth that are coming in, her talking, all these things that I'm asking for in detail, which he knew full well would continue to like be like, you know, pouring salt on a wound. Um, and so he would just kind of brush it off and not provide me with details and that you know was frustrating I think on both ends but again we weren't in the habit of talking about feelings or emotions um and so all again all of these things just kind of kept getting suppressed and put to the side and we were just trying to deal with what was in front of us you know we just couldn't deal with what was going to happen next week you know if I did get you know house arrest it wasn't it certainly wasn't going to be house arrest you know where um uh we were living um because that was out of state so it'd have to be you know in the state that you know all this happened in so therefore I'd have to stay there but I was just like you know if I can just get house arrest I can at least be home and I could you know, be able to see them on a more regular basis. At this point, I, the only time that I'd seen them was on video when I was in the jail. And it's oh, it was always now if from that point on, it was just always, you know, conversations over the phone. Um, they could have visited um, the prison. And but I think at that time, um, I had yet determined where exactly I was. And then there was still a, a process for them to get accepted through the system to get approved for them to visit me. So that was a long process. And I wasn't, I didn't yet know exactly um, where I was going to be going. So we, I think we held off on that. Um, and maybe we did do like the video conferencing or video monitoring. I say conferencing, like, you know, we were like in a meeting conference, but certainly wasn't that. Um, so in any case, uh, you know, life went on for everybody else that was around me. 
and I then focused on how I was going to get home. And of the, just to tell you, you know, kind of the criterias that, you know, had to be met while, um, when you transfer from different areas, um, they're, they're very strict, obviously, you know, you were sent to maximum prison uh, security for a reason and to try to get out of that situation and transfer to somewhere else. Um, you had to meet, a, you know, some pretty tight criterias and, um, and I met them, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you get approved. It just kind of depends on the caseworker. It depends on who's approving them, so on and so forth. So out of the more than dozen girls that applied that was in my, the, 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 uh, the girls that were transferred in my group, I was the only one that was approved to go down a level to the medium facility. So um, w- so from that, um, I was still waiting when I was being transferred out of prison to the, um, the camp facility. Um, I was still in the process of, of, of hearing from the courts if my um, house arrest was, was going to be approved. So I got there and um, about two weeks or maybe a less, less than two weeks after I got there and waiting and waiting and waiting, I finally got the paperwork that said I was denied. And so after four months of kind of being in limbo, that was when it sunk in that I was not going home. And, I w- and it wasn't even certain that I would go home at the 19 months. And... I think that was when, again, I just felt absolutely defeated because I had tried everything in my power to get home. And I was so certain that house arrest was going to work and that was going to be the last thing and I was going to be able to be reunited with my family somehow, you know, not able to leave the house again, but still, you know, be out of the the prison system. And when that was denied, it was like, a building fell on top of me and it felt like I was again being resentenced because this one was for certain this was the last thing I could have asked for um, that would allow me to go home and it was denied and so from the prison I was again moved to this uh, to this camp and in this camp um, you are I think there was like one two three four five different buildings and um, you are assigned a crew where you go out every day and, um, I know they no longer do the side of the road cleanup, like on freeways that you see, but that's basically what it is. And it's, it's, it's concentrated on state parks. Um, and, uh, the, again, Bureau of Land Management. And so there is, um, so that you get on what's called a fire crew, and like there's like maintenance crew, fire crew, um, and the fire crew, the girls actually do go out and they dig lines for fires. And this year happened to be one of the biggest fires, I think, I'm, I'm sure there's been several big fires in this area, um, where, where the girls are actually, um, you know, are set, um, sent and they, they go for weeks at a time um, and they dig fire lines. Um, for uh, to help the firemen and women um, beat fires, and um, and that's what this camp does. And so, in when there isn't fire, you go out and you help clear brush, you help 
um, get rid of um, of trees and brushes and, uh, and and brush and weeds and in any state and local parks and um, or state park actually not local and that's what I did and I was there during uh, the summertime so it was super super hot felt like I was gonna pass out every time we went out um, but again you just learn a different you know you learn different things in different facilities and um one of the so when i was moved from the prison and i was in when i was in um in a segregated area one of the other porters that were picked that was picked um was this sweet girl i will just i'll just uh um, define her as sweet. She really was a very sweet girl. Um, who had, you know, I, I think this was, might've been her second time in there. And again, drug, drug related. There was a lot of drug related, um, um, crimes that I, uh, came across. Um, and she was so sweet and she was so nice and she was so encouraging. Um, she, I think had the same age daughter as I did, um, when she went in. So that was kind of one thing that bonded us, I guess you could say. Um, and she had, she was, um, she'd gone to the camp facility a few weeks before I did. She was one of the ones that were approved a few weeks before I did. And again, so now you're leaving an air, leaving a place where you're getting acclimated to the routine you're getting acclimated to the people you're getting acclimated to kind of your surroundings and then you're kind of pulled out of that you know for this one a good reason um because then you're you know you're down a level um but then you're still pulled out of that situation and then you have you've got to get yourself acclimated to a totally different situation this was again a whole other world once again of rules and regulations and uh people and situations and um, again, you just, you have to get used to that. So I, um, went there and it just so happened that again, this is, you know, this is synchronicity, synchronicity, um, the universe, whatever you want to call it. I happen. So I walk in to, again, very, um, you know, anticipating, you know, total, a totally different environment, um, feeling, you know, less secure than I was, right? hard to say that I was in prison having you know being in prison for you know two plus months at that point and um and now being in this facility where um I have to learn you know and 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 be with new people and so as I walk in so her and I because we were in that segregated area for three weeks and every you know she was a porter as well so every time that we were allowed to um leave our cell uh, more so than anyone else um she and I would be together and we would talk and have conversation and um and so we got to you know know each other at that level not anything deep but got to know each other at that level and I was kind of bummed that she didn't end up being in the same uh wing in the general population um because it was would have been nice to know somebody um and she was sent somewhere else and then I learned that she then went 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 to camp um you know before me so I walk into my room per se 
Um, and there she was. <laughs> so she ended up being, um, at this point, I wouldn't call it cellmate because it was more bunkmate. Um, this one, because of the, the rooms are open, there's no doors, there's no, um, nothing, there's no windows, there's no windows to the outside, but there's no, there's no door to go in. It's quite open. So they're just kind of separated, um, little bunk areas that, that housed four people, you know, two bunk beds basically. Um, and it was nice to see a familiar face, not just in the same building as I was in, but in the same room I was in. Um, which again, I, I will thank the universe for putting her in my path because it that eased me into a new environment. And so again, here was a definitely a new place to get to know people, a new place, and, and you know, new rules, um, new policies, new officers um, who were not very kind. Um, again, they don't have to be, but um, would have helped if some were. <laughs> um, and new things to have to do. Um, here, you know, to earn your keep, basically, you um, you have to, you know, be assigned to a crew and you have to go out. And so that was kind of your job. And again, this is an area, a place where um, you could stay for months. Maybe some people stay here for years at a time, depending on, again, if this, this could be the la lowest level of facility they could go to, which means they could spend most of their time here. So it was here that, again, I got the, the I was, came to the realization that I um, wasn't going to be able to leave. And I, I needed to spend, you know, now 15 months, uh, well over a y another year at this facility or maybe the next one. And I felt quite defeated when I got the results of the of my my uh, request, and just felt like the world was over, and I was just you know gonna be forgotten at this point. And um, I started feeling at this point that maybe the life that I left was not going to be there when I came home. And this was kind of maybe the first inkling, although I didn't accept it or didn't want to believe it, but I felt that this this maybe. The catalyst to that. So um, after being, I was there for three months and then there was another level, which was the last level you could go to. And again, nothing is ever guaranteed. So you don't know, you apply for it. If, if you meet the requirements and even if you meet the requirements and they don't feel it's a good spot for you to be in, they're not going to prove it. So I applied then for community level. And at this community level, you could you're housed in a facility that has both men and women, but you are trusted to be living in this facility 24-7 outside of a job that you would have, you need to get. And you had to get a job. If you were to go there, you needed to get a job within a certain amount of time. And if you weren't successful in getting a job within that time frame, you go back up to the level that you came from. So there's a very, um, there's a lot of pressure to find a job. And so thankfully, after um, a few months, and I, I, We'll probably talk more about being in camp and what that was all about um, in future episodes, but just try to keep this under an hour <laughs> if I can this time around. Um, I The camp was, again, just another eye-opening experience. Um, I was able to be outdoors more. This is actually the time that um, I started to run because they, they had, not the prison system, the prison where I was at actually had, you know, a track as well. But this had, this had a dirt track um, that you could run. And I started to just run to just get out of my head. And uh, I was never a runner. 
and I, I still am not a runner by any means. Um, but I actually started to enjoy running. It just was, it just felt liberating to be able to get out and run, even though I was still fenced in. Um, and I would run like an average of like three to four miles a day, which, oh my God, I could barely run a mile before beforehand. So the fact that I would, I would do it three to four times, um, some, sometimes I would do it twice a day. So, you know, run an average of like eight miles a day. Um, and I just started to, again, read more books. They had more books here. I, you know, well, I didn't read a lot of books while I was in prison because I was so concentrating on, on reading law books, um, in the law library. So there wasn't much time for any other, anything else, but here I, I you know, any books that I could check out that was of, you know, kind of in the self-help, um, area, I would, I would read as much as I could just, just to get out of my own head and just to get some positive things in my head. Cause there's just a lot of negativity around. Um, and, uh, there was this one time right before I found out that I was, um, I wasn't going to be going home on house arrest. And, um, my family was putting money into an account where you could buy things, you know, supplies and things like that. And I had purchased a supply of, um, this is going to sound weird, but it's a trigger for me. And, and every time I look at it, it reminds me of this time. And I think it's just, that's just going to be, you know, something that everyone kind of goes through depending, regardless of what situation and something's going to trigger something. Um, so that seems so minute, but I had purchased, um, a, um, Q-tips, <laughs> ear Q-tips. <laughs> I know sounds completely weird. Um, and I had, I had purchased a box that had 150 of them. And there was a girl across the way from where my, my area was, my room was. And she was asking if, she, if anyone had Q-tips. And I went in, grabbed like a huge handful and gave them to her out of my bag or out of my box. And she was like, are you sure? You know, she's like, I don't want to take this much. And I was like, I said out loud, I said, I'm never going to go through 150 in the time frame that I'm here. Um, you can definitely have them because I'm going home. And that was, uh, whether that was me again, trying to convince myself, otherwise I was just certain that I was going to go home. So I just was never worried about, you know, not being able to finish a box of 150 Q-tips that I was so certain that I was going to leave that I didn't mind, you know, handing them out to anybody that needed them. So it's, and then needless to say, I had to reorder said Q-tips, um, more than more than the one time um, before I was able to leave, and it always reminds me of that time. So even now, when I buy Q-tips at the store, I am taken back to that time. I still see it so fresh in my head. Me telling this girl that I was going to be leaving and that I didn't need them, so she could have them. Um, in any case, that's how confident I was. Um, but then I got it, you know, soon thereafter that I wasn't going to go home. So I applied to to this um, other facility, which was the community level facility. And again, I was not, I didn't want to say I was surprised, but I was, you know, surprised and happy that I was accepted. And so three months after I got to this camp, I was then again moved, uh, moved again to um, this facility. And while I was at camp, there was another girl um, who was also waiting for word on her house arrest. And I had gotten my house arrest um, fi uh, letter, and I remember getting it at mail call, because <laughs> that's what happens. You come out, and they call your name, and you go get your mail. 
and reading it and just being devastated again just course was just crying and I, one of the officers was actually nice enough to ask if I was okay and I had to tell him that I was denied house arrest and they said you know everything happens for a reason um you know obviously this is not the reason that you want you know not the re- the solution the resolution that you wanted but you know just keep try to keep positive everything is going to be okay and you know try to really kind of lift me up as much as they could um but I do remember and recall being um completely um devastated and I remember the look on my face I'm sure they were like you know why they were wondering why if I was okay and um and so when this girl that was at camp she had gotten her as well like maybe a few weeks a few weeks after me she also had gotten her denial for house arrest um I felt an obligation to do what the officers did to me to for her and I asked you know I didn't know why she was in tears why she was crying and why you know why she was devastated but I assumed she was holding a piece of paper that it had something to do with the courts and so I um asked her we know what it was and she told me and so I you know basically just said I I went through the same thing and from that point from that point on she and I had a bond um that was the, the house arrest denial was something that bonded us and believe me um as it is in the real world I guess you could say um weird things bond people in situations like this um in the real world you could be bonding over you know grabbing the same shoe at a department store or um you know eating the same you know ordering the same food at a restaurant and you know or whatever you know in this situation this is what bonded us and um so when i was moved fr- um from uh this facility the camp facility to the community facility she soon followed. Um, she also, once she was denied, requested to to be moved there, and um, it was great to have. And I, I will, at at the point, she was an acquaintance. It was a familiar face, somebody I could speak to. But in after that time, and in years later, and I even today, she is, and she she will know when she hears this. Um, one of the best things that have ever happened um, to me while I was away. Um, someone that was definitely put in my path that allowed me to um, to breathe because I was so in my head this whole time. And together, um, we lived through the same exact thing and nobody knows other than someone else who's lived through it what you've gone through and she knows and that again has bonded us and again so much so that you know now we are great friends and um and will continue to be she's one of those people that I know that will be in my life forever um and even if we don't speak every day or see each other often or anything like that um the bond that we created during this time of our lives, this crazy, crazy time of our lives, um, has been, was solidified then. So, um, I went into this facility 
knowing that this was going to be the place where I was going to spend most of my time. So knowing that um, there was also the pressure, again, of, of finding a job. And most people found jobs where, you know, in restaurants, because you also have to be able to tell them that where you were at. And so there's not a lot of companies out there that was willing to um, employ somebody that was, you know, still in prison. <laughs> um, as trustworthy as you, you, we, you know, you may look, they're, you know, they're just, again, not... Um, very open to it and also you know to get the job you do have to tell them the reason why you you know were are are in there um you know that's part of it you've got to be honest with them and if they take a chance on you they take a chance on you and seeing as mine was i stole from my employer um there's probably i I would guess that you know hearing that as an employer um i'm not going to be at the top of the people that you want to hire that said i did find a um a family-run um restaurant that took a chance and took me in and I'm eternally grateful for that because that allowed me to stay there it took the pressure off of trying to find a job as I saw everyone was you're only you know, again you go through a class when you first get there then you're you're given um, maybe a month maybe less than a month to find a job and you know, again because you have to disclose where you're at um, there's just not a lot of people willing to give you a chance to do that although I will say that there are um there were like fast food places that um, hired a lot of people from that facility. So if you, if they were hiring, that there was a good chance that you could um, also be hired there. I will say that I, I tried to stay away from anywhere where there was other people from the facility that worked there, not because I didn't want to associate with be associated with them, but just because I didn't want the pressure of having other people from the same facility in the same while while I was working. I really just wanted to, the time that I was away, you know, was the time I could be away and not be under the facility. Um, Rules and just the people, um, granted, again, there was, you know, there's, there's amazing people that were in there and there was people that were less than amazing. So um, again, I just wanted to try to find a job where I could be by myself. And again, I was grateful that I found that job. And there was also, you were also allowed in this facility to be approved maybe once or twice a month to go out and get uh, food and and uh, like necessities um, for you. And you're you're allowed a certain amount of to spend a certain amount of money, um, and then everything is checked again. You are still under the policy of the state and the rules of the states. Everything that you know, you you leave, you are um, you check out, you're videotaped, you come back, you're checked in. You know everything is checked, um, your bags checked, everything. You know the things that you can bring in, things you can bring, uh, you can bring back, you things you can't, and there's just rules and regulations. For, regulations for everything and they're very 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 strict about it because again they're trusting you to be in the community and um to be out on your own because people have actually not come back um so it does happen so um and it did happen whilst we were there or or to do things um that you weren't supposed to like if you were supposed to say you're going to work but you do something else then um you know, and you get caught, then you get sent back. Um, and it, there's a huge long process and it's, it's quite a scary deal. And so, um, I just wanted to try to avoid all of those things and just keep to myself. Um, but my friend was also in the same facility on the same floor. Um, she had an, a, a nine to five job. Um, and I, I had my, my own as well. 
and we just tried to live kind of day by day. And this was also the time, the first time that I was able to see, um, after moving to this facility, was able to see my husband and daughter face to face. And I will talk more about that um, in later episodes because that, again, encompasses a whole other set of emotions and, and things that was I was going through. Um, and I was, I will say that I was able to see my daughter uh, a few times um, while I was in the facility. Um, and they were quite surreal, quite awkward. Um, when you spent so much time with an individual and then you put time and space between you and you don't talk about that time and space and you're both not at a place where you feel comfortable talking to each other about it and certainly not in a place where you can sit there and talk about it um, and you just kind of go through the motions of life as you know it as what reality is presenting you with um, there's just a lot of baggage on both sides and there's things that should have been said but never were and things that probably shouldn't have been said but were just out of complete frustration with one another and so the times that we did see each other we focused solely on our daughter and just me spending time with her um I did get pictures and things while she was growing up I you know again missed her first birthday while I was was still in prison I missed her second birthday was while I was in this facility um and those times, again, were just quite difficult. And I maybe touched on this in, in earlier episodes when I said that I, I only allowed myself to think about her. You know, I, I had to be very, very selective on, on how far deep into the hole I would allow myself because I, I could really go deep and not be able to get out because just of all the emotions and the pain and the hurt and the guilt that I felt, you know, surrounding everything that had happened with my relationships and, and my, you know, with my husband, my relationship with my daughter and things that were just going on around me that I had no control over. And, you know, it all stemmed from obviously the things that I had done and that that's, you know, these were um, the circumstances that was, that, that had happened, you know, these, these were it. And, um, I had to deal with them and I didn't deal with them the proper way. Um, and I ha and, but I just learned just about myself that I needed to compartmentalize all of those things to be able to survive. And that's what I did. And, you know, you, that, that may not have been the best way to deal with it, but at the time it was the only way that I could deal with it. And one of the things that was a lifesaver for me was um, there was a secondhand store that was ran by a church that was affiliated with the prison that I volunteered at. And in this, um, so in the, the time, the, during the times, I basically was out of the facility almost seven days a week. During the times that I worked, or um, so I worked fairly regular eight hour shifts, sometimes longer. And depending on how busy the restaurant was. Um, and then the times that I ha actually had a day off, one or two days off, I would volunteer. So I, I really tried to be out of the facility as, as much as I could, whether it was working or volunteering. And at this, this uh, secondhand store, 
Um, again, was just another, there's a lot of people that, vol- that run the facility that volunteered there. So again, try to kind of keep to myself and, and do my own thing there not get, you know, caught up in, in anyone else's things or situations or issues or drama. Um, one of the things that allowed me to do that was they had this huge room where they had, oh my gosh, thousands upon thousands of donated books. And I had started reading books when I was at camp with whatever was there. Um, it wasn't a lot of selection, of, um, but there were some things there. But here, oh my gosh, even more so. So I started reading things from, um, you know, works of people that I knew about, um, like the ones that were popular. Um, and like Tony Robbins um, and, you know, other famous um, speakers and, um, and I started to really, really dive into kind of the self-help world and really tried to, this was a time where I was able to figure out on my own, you know, why I'd done the things I had done. And why things started to make sense to me. Things started to click. Like why, you know, the progression of my life had had happened the way that it had. And why things happened the way that it had. And, it, and it, of course, it stemmed from, you know, one bad mistake that turned into another bad mistake. And, and, and it snowballed. But, you know, why it started in the first place. But it came from just reading. Um, so I walked away from, the, from this facility having read, like, over 400 plus books. And a lot of them, you know, not... All, all of them obviously came. Um, there's a couple that was sent to me by family that I requested after reading someone's um, book that I had, I had uh, found in the donation. Um, and the facility was gracious, gracious enough to allow us to bring some of those books home to the facility. And that's how I was able to read them was um, you could, you, you know, you were able to check out, I guess they weren't a library, but you were able to bring back some of those books as long as you, you know, brought them back. Um, and sometimes I, you know, or shared them with the people in the facility. And sometimes I did end up sharing them because, um, you know, other people were interested in, in trying to figure out their, their own lives and their own heads. And so this is basically where I got back into the law of attraction and manifestation and the universe and, um, and quantum physics and, uh, uh, neuropathways. I mean, this is where I started to learn all of these things. Um, neuroplasticity, just, uh, just everything. I just started anything that I could find that had this, that the universal world attached to it. I, I wanted to learn more and there was no better time for me to be able to, you know, to have time to sit down and read and get out of my own head than this. And so I took advantage of that. I honestly did. And most people, some people found that to be weird that, you know, I wasn't focusing on, you know, my family or friends or, you know, what I was going to do afterwards. I, there was nothing much I could do while I was in this facility. There's, I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, try to secure a job while I was in there. Cause I, I didn't know how long I was going to be in there. 19 months was the minimum time that I was, I was given, but, um, I, it could go up to 48 months depending on what the parole board, um, decided to do. You know, if you did everything that they asked you to, you didn't get into any trouble, you did exactly as you're told and, and you know, you didn't make any waves, um, you could probably be at the 20, 19 months as that bailiff told me, you know, long, long, seen that years later. Um, but when I first walked into that jail, that said, nothing is ever guaranteed. You could catch the parole board on a totally bad day. You could go in front of them and they had, you know, somebody horrible in front of them that they didn't approve of um, or didn't like or turn down and you could catch them. And that's, you know, that's, that's the way that it was. And if they felt, um, 
that you didn't that you hadn't yet learned your lesson or had yet you know um, paid your debt to society, then you know they had every right to extend it all the way up to the maximum. So nineteen to forty eight um, was anyone's guess as when I was going to come home. So I figured at this time there was no go- not going to be any other time. I had no other choice. I couldn't dwell on things I couldn't control. There were so many things outside of my control in this facility. The only thing I can control was myself, um, and I learned that in these books. (laughs) So that's why I'm so passionate about it. And that's why I ended up starting this business. And again, we'll go through that in the future. It was like, I learned that from this book is like the only thing I can control was me. And I couldn't control anybody else's actions. I couldn't control anyone else's behavior. I couldn't control anyone else's thoughts, no matter how I tried to, um, you know, to, to, um, get them to understand where I was coming from. There's nothing that I could do. So the only thing I could control was me. And if I was going to be in here, then I was just going to do the best thing that I could possibly do. And to me at the time, this was it. I started to fill my head and my mind with positive things. I started to look at things that, um, you know, from a totally different perspective. I started to find, I was desperate to find the silver lining in everything. I couldn't really find a lot of the silver linings then. Shortly after I left, I did. Well, I won't say shortly after I left. Uh, it took some time for me to find it, but I really did try to find the positive in things. And I got closer every day. It was just a step closer to coming home. 19 months was, was my goal. And I really tried very, very hard to keep that in mind and stay within you know, that mind frame. So finally, after waiting over, so I think it was maybe at like 16, 15 months, probably, um, into my sentence. So that includes the time I was in jail and prison and camp. And now at this facility, I was able, able to finally, um, go up against, um, in front, not against, uh, in front of the board, the board of parole. And, it's just like kind of being in court, but you're, you know, you do it in the facility and you explain to them, you kind of go back and explain to them what happened. You know, some of them are reading your case for the very first time and you tell them, you know, the reasons why it happened, what you've done since then, where you've, you know, what your story has been and what your journey has been that, thus far. If you've learned your lesson, if you plan on coming back, uh, I believe they do ask that. And, you know, why should they release you at your 19 months? And um, I will say that I didn't, I had asked my husband to come to this um, meeting. But I, when he declined, I didn't pursue it. And... I think he declined for many reasons. Um, I think he declined because there was just so much time and space between us. I think he declined because he didn't feel comfortable being there. Um, he declined because we at this point, at this stage in our relationship, um, we're not speaking about our relationship. We were just trying to figure out kind of life in general. We weren't speaking in any terms of... Um, you know, excited, excited to, for me to be home. Yes. Um, but more so to be home so I could be a mother. Um, not so much more so so that I could be a wife and we both, and then it wasn't, that wasn't one-sided. It wasn't what he was, you know, the, the things that he was telling me, it was the things that I also felt. I just felt like if I could just get home, 
then we could talk about those things. And I just wanted to tiptoe around it because it was like a, a ticking time bomb for me. And that if I felt as if I acknowledged it or started talking about it, that him, you know, me being in the facility and him being home, uh, being a single father, that all hell would broke loose. And, you know, and we weren't in a place where we could sit together and look at each other face to face and be able to work things out or, you know, find a common ground or, you know, have that connection. So I, again, decided to just ignore the, the elephant in the room and as did he and again it was mutual without speaking to each other about it it was a mutual feeling so when I asked him if he would come and speak on my behalf and he declined I didn't pursue it any further I didn't ask I didn't plead I didn't do any of those things I understood and again half of me really didn't want him to be there um and so I was actually glad that he declined and so my sister and my brother-in-law came and spoke um, on my behalf. And um, am I forgetting this? Was somebody else there? It was such a frightening time that I may have forgotten somebody else that was there. It was, but maybe some, oh gosh, now I can't even think about it. Um, I will correct it if I'm wrong and I apologize if I am wrong and somebody else was there and I, I, I it's slipping my mind. It, 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 um, it was a scary time because a lot, um, there's a lot of, you know, a, a lot of pressure and a lot of things weighed on this decision and it was super scary. And as much as I couldn't wait for that time to come to get the decision, I also was worried that they just, they would decide that. I wasn't ready to come home and I and then I would have to try to appeal it and all of those things just kind of came into mind and I started to rem remembering all the times that you know a year plus prior that I tried to um to appeal uh my sentence and they didn't work so and then I just kept you know again when you're in that situation you keep thinking my gosh and it could really go up to 48 months like it I could could actually happen you know there's there's nothing that says that it can't and so fear starts to come in and no matter how positive I was at the time you know the the you know those fears is natural and happens to anybody and especially in that in that time frame so needless to say um after my hearing you hear like maybe two weeks or so afterwards and you just basically see your name on a on a, on a on a wall that has like a bulletin board basically um and that's actually the board that you see where when it's your time to go up in front of the board in, in front of the parole board and then you also see if you get approved and so every day you're checking it every day you're checking it and every day everyone's you know there's like a big buzz because I think it's like a, a lot of people go through are, are, are at the same time and so you find out at the same time there's like a lot of buzz oh today's going to be the day today's going to be the day so every time I came back from whether volunteering or from um, where I was working I would go up to the board and, and finally I was able I saw my name and I was just oh my god happy as a freaking clam I was like I am coming home this is it my life starts oh my god this is everything and I was so excited I'm like I just was like so absolutely joyous and I finally you know I finally saw the light at the end of the tunnel this was it um, and so literally to the day that I came in, so 19 months almost to the day, and I think it actually is, was the exact 
19 months. Um, it was a Friday uh, that I was released and I was so excited and nervous and just all of these feelings, probably the, you know, just all of these emotions. Like I wanted, I couldn't wait to see my family. I couldn't wait to see my daughter. Oh my God. I couldn't wait to see my husband. Although, you know, there was, there was tense things between us. Um, I just wanted to leave. I just wanted to go home. Um, so my, um, brother-in-law came to pick me up at the facility. Um, the first thing I had to do was I had to actually go to parole and probation because <laughs> I, um, although my sentence had ended, uh, my, my, my 19 months had ended, my sentence didn't actually expire for two more months. So I actually had to stay in, in the city, uh, where I was at for, um, another two months. And, um, and so I had to check in and, you know, basically be on, probation for two months, which is basically what I had wanted, you know, what I thought I was going to get 19 months before then. Um, but I was only on there for two months. And so I did again, stay, I couldn't go back home. And I, um, came and I, and I came home and it was like the whole world just started to turn again. Things just looked completely different. I'd been, you know, going down the same streets, the same route, seeing the same people for the past 15 months in this facility. Um, and, you know, I, I, I could only stay within this, you know, the areas that I was allowed in, which was to go to work and to volunteer in that, that route, that bus route, the, the transportation route that it took. And that's all I saw, for, you know, for 15 months. And that it was amazing to see things, you know, that, that weren't part of that route. And just to be home and just to be with my family and to sleep in, you know, a, a regular bed, um, to have regular food. Um, although I did work at a restaurant that had regular food, so thank God for that. I, d- I was able to have that. Um, and just, just to be free, to finally be free after all this time. Um, it was exhilarating. It was um, nerve-wracking uh, and I was so happy to be home and so excited to see my family and my daughter. Um, my husband didn't come until the, the, the morning after, which was fine um, because he had to work. And so he, you know, he came with my daughter. And I will say that she came running in from the front door of my sister's house and ran to me. So if you can imagine, she was 11 months when I left and she was two and a half by the time I came home. So she was chatting in her own little way and obviously now well past crawling and walking and now running. And she was a little girl now. She's a little toddler, no longer a baby. So I missed a lot of time in her young life. But that said, when she came running towards me and hugged me and said, Mommy, I lost it. Um, And I hadn't cried up until that point. I maybe cried when I saw my sister. Um, I don't I think I did. I'm sure I did cry when I saw my sister. But I cried the most, I think, when I when that at that point when I saw my daughter and then I just felt like okay 
Like, I can get through anything at this point. Like, I can do it. If I can get through that, and I could sit here, and I could hold my daughter in my arms and kiss her and hug her, then I could get through anything. And I was like, okay, life is going to start. Here we go. Back at it. I'm here. Um, We will forget this season of my life and we will brush it under the rug and we will move forward and we will keep on keeping on. And that day that my husband came, our friends um, held a party for me at their house and Again, I hadn't seen anyone, obviously, since I had left. And some of them I hadn't seen since before then because we I'd moved out of state. So this is the first time I'm seeing some of them in, like, in absolute years. And um, it was surreal. It was weird to be in the same room um, as my daughter and husband at the same time. It was weird to see my daughter no longer a baby. It was, it was I was more comfortable around my friends than I was around my husband and my daughter if that makes sense um I was like I don't know like a stranger I I wasn't a stranger to her she knew who I was she knew what I looked like she knew my voice she knew I was mommy um but there was still that void between us and um it seemed to be there was there never was it just wasn't all in my head because I was gone for so long and I, I again felt that guilt and Gosh, at, at about halfway through that party, I felt like I am back. And these are, I'm with my people and my friends and my family. And this is done. This ordeal is done. And I can get back to my life. I can hopefully go back to my old job. Um, I can, I, I can live again. I can breathe again. I was just, gosh, it was so, I was able to breathe like for the first time in 19 months a huge sigh of relief that the end was here and it had the time had passed and although I was still under probation it was just two months and I could go back to my life and um I will end it here because as most of you know or not most some of you know um I didn't go back to my life my life ended my old life ended the day I stepped into prison and it's never looked the same since. Um, and nothing solidified that more than that night after the party when we'd said goodbye to our friends and our family. And um, that's when my husband asked for a divorce. And... It felt um, like a swift kick in the stomach. And I, I felt like I lost my breath. Like someone was like holding me down and sitting on my chest because I couldn't breathe. Because I thought that I was finally at a point where I can get back to some sort of normalcy. And this news was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> Um, and I just, I felt like it was, it it felt as if it was a knee-jerk reaction. And so I didn't acknowledge it to the, like, I didn't say, yes, I'll give you a divorce or yes, we should get a divorce. I actually probably said something completely the opposite, but I just, at the time, it just felt like a knee-jerk reaction to something. Um, you know, we'd been separated for so many months, 
Um, and, you know, things had happened all around us and, 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 you know, emotions were strong and, you know, pain was there and hurt was there and lies were told and all these other things. And so I just felt like, um, it was, it was a knee jerk reaction. And so I, I didn't acknowledge it and I didn't say yes. And I didn't, I didn't say no. I just, I didn't say, I don't think I said anything. Um, but it, I felt quite hollow inside. And at the time I just absolutely completely, you know, was hurt and blamed him. But in retrospect, um, now I can talk about it. Now I can see it. Now I could see it from a totally different, different perspective. Um, that was the only thing to be done. Um, at the time, it certainly was not the feeling that I was having. I was not agreeing with that at all. Um, and again, I will talk about more about what happened there. Um, the, the times, you know, afterwards, the times during, um, in later episodes of this. But that day I felt as if, that night at least, that the prison sentence continued. That I was cel- I celebrated for 24 hours and then it felt like I was handed another sentence. And it wasn't anything against him, um, although he was the, the bearer of bad news in my, you know, but at the time it just felt like I had suffered, here was just yet another blow when I thought that I was finally ending, you know, what was the worst phase of my life. And I hadn't prepared myself for the next, this next phase. And cause I was just dealing with the last one and I, it hadn't, um, the, uh, the coals hadn't cooled yet when this other, um, fire was set. And so there started a new chapter in my life and one I couldn't understand, one I couldn't fathom, one I couldn't get over, one that took me a very, very long time to wrap my arms around. Uh, And I will talk more about that in future episodes. But this has been long enough, (laughs) I think. Um, But hopefully that gave you a glimpse of what life was like for me for those 19 months. And again, all the details and intricacies of some of those moments, I will talk about much, much later and bring those up because a lot of them are very, very important um, to the puzzle pieces of my life. Uh, And in looking back at the time I was in camp, the time I was at this facility, the people I met, the people I, you know, I came across the uh, just, just things that happened that became a puzzle piece and I didn't really realize it then, but they be- became part of this, you know, the bigger picture for me. And a lot of it happened in this 19 months, unbeknownst to me. And I had to look back and think back, oh, okay, now that makes sense. And then this makes sense. And this makes sense. As with most things in life, because, you know, when you're in it, you can't look back. <laughs> you don't have the capacity to be able to look back. It was. It's only after that you can connect the dots because you can't connect it whilst you're in there. Um, you can only connect the dots when you're at, when you're outside of it and you can perceive it from a totally different vantage point. And 
that's what it was. A lot of it was connecting dots. A lot of it was putting together this puzzle piece of my life and where it was leading me to and how I was going to get there and how at the time my pain and my suffering and all of those things were just not quite finished. Um, the things There were just more things to deal with, life to deal with, life decisions to deal with and life changes to wrap my mind around. So that said, I will sign off for now and I will see you guys in the next episode. Um, a lot of things that I have said, um, you know, throughout these last two episodes uh, of me recounting, you know, my time away are all, of course, obviously my own experience. Everyone has their own experience. But hopefully you can find kind of a thread or a commonality with something that maybe you've gone through in your life. Um, Hopefully it's nothing like mine, but, you know, it could be a divorce, a death. There's some huge situation that you've gone through. And know that um, even if you're just in the middle of the storm that you're in, that there there is always a silver lining you won't see it right now. It won't become evident to you as you're in it spinning, spinning, spinning. But there always is. There is, there is a reason for that you were chosen to go through this. Um, and there is a lesson in everything and a lesson in everyone. So um, just know that you are meant for better and greater things. And whatever you're going through, whatever storm you're going through that you will see the other side of it and it will become clearer to you um, once some time has passed. And with that, I will again sign off. I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Hopefully we can stay connected and you can follow me on Instagram at Kat Coley Coach or my Facebook page at Kat Coley Coach or you can email me at any time at cat at catcoley.com or if you'd love to hear more about my services or more podcast episodes or anything in between, check out my website, catcoley.com. Again, Thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here and I will chat with you next time.